Hey, welcome to Liquid Church, everybody. Great to see you guys. Uh, my name is Pastor Tim. Glad you're here for our Series 7 Churches of Revelation. We had a powerful kickoff last Sunday, and if you're just joining us, it's a great time to jump in. For seven weeks, our entire church is taking a journey through the book of Revelation to really look at the last words of Jesus to his believers living in the end times. And we're asking this question, what is the Spirit saying to our church in the 21st century? Now, our small groups are following along with our groups guides during the week. And so I see some of you brought them to church today. That's awesome. Uh, if you don't have one, you can pick up a groups guide at the Next Steps booth in the lobby after today's service uh, at all of the campuses. Speaking of which, can we welcome all of our campuses joining us? We're glad you guys are here. Or if you're watching online or podcast, welcome. All right, let's begin. We're going to open our mailbox. Let's see what we got today. You've got mail. You remember that one? Uh, yeah, we've got in Revelation, the first three chapters, we are reading the seven letters that Jesus wrote to seven churches in Asia Minor. If you remember the Apostle John, he is the last living apostle at this point. Everyone else is dead. And he is on the prison island of Patmos, this little rock in the Aegean Sea. And why is, why is he there in prison? He's there because he's been preaching the gospel. And so John receives a visit from Jesus Christ himself. He has a revelation of Jesus, not the crucified Jesus, but the resurrected and glorified uh, King of heaven. And John, uh, Jesus says, John, write this down. I'm going to dictate seven letters, and then you're going to deliver them. Send my words to seven churches in Asia Minor, which follow the Roman postal route. You can see them on the mail map up here. Uh, it's located in modern-day Turkey. You can see starting down there in Ephesus. We looked at Jesus' first letter last week to the church in Ephesus, who he commended for their hard work, but condemned for their hard heart. Last week, we asked this question, what happens when you lose your first love? When your passion for Christ grows cold. Remember, I had a heart kind of encased in a block of ice. And the church in Ephesus kind of gave all of us a scary warning. We admitted that, you know, it's actually possible to do all the right things. In other words, you can go to church, you can read your Bible, you can serve others, but lose your love for Jesus. And for longtime believers, that was really a corrective to realize, you know, if we're not careful, over time, as your faith grows older, your heart can grow colder. And you find yourself just going through the motions, kind of phoning it in. And that's what happened in Ephesus. But Jesus warns him. He says, hey, guys, it's not too late to get it back to repent and return to your first love. Jesus says, I want you to go back and do the things you did at first. Return to me. I'll thaw your heart. And that was a powerful warning and just invitation to start this series, the first letter. Now, today, we're going to open the second letter Jesus wrote to the church in Smyrna. Can you say that word with me? Smyrna. All right, you guys ready for letter number two? If you're following in your group's guide, I'm on pages 10 and 11. It says Smyrna, the suffering church. And just a little background. Smyrna is actually located about 40 miles north of Ephesus. And those two cities kind of competed for top dog, like which is the most influential city in the region. And today you could visit there. Uh, it is the modern day city of Izmir, Turkey. Take a look at it. You see, it's a very modern city full of skyscrapers. Again, located right on the Mediterranean. And Smyrna had a seaport. It was very cosmopolitan. The city was known for science. 
It was known for medicine, fine wine. They had a lot of vineyards there that they exported wine and the beauty of its architecture. Um, Today you can visit, let me show you a picture of the ancient Agora. This was the marketplace. These are the ruins of it. It's kind of like the shopping mall and it's right in the center of the city. You can visit it today. It's amazing skyscrapers and you see these incredible columns. But Smyrna was sophisticated. It actually was known for literature and the arts. In fact, here's a cool fact. Um, The guy who wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey was born here. Does anybody know his name? Homer. Yes, not Homer Simpson. Uh, This is Homer, the Greek poet, okay, not the Simpson character. Smyrna was home to Homer. And so Jesus writes this letter to the Christians who are living in Smyrna. Revelation 2, we'll start at verse 8. He says this, To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the what? The first and the last who died and came to life again. So who's speaking? This is the crucified and resurrected Christ. He says, the one who died, I died on the cross and then I came to life, I rose again. And Jesus says, remember, I'm the first and the last. So I was the creator of creation and I am the author of eternity. I was there at the beginning, I'll be there at the end. But here's something interesting. There's a double meaning here. In Revelation, there's always kind of two two plot lines going on. So we know this phrase, who died and came to life again, at first refers to Jesus. But there's a second meaning. See, the city of Smyrna was destroyed in 600 BC, literally burnt to the ground, and they rebuilt it in 290 BC. And because of that, Smyrna had a nickname. It was known as the city that died and came back to life. So this is a hidden double meaning, and Jesus is kind of winking at them, saying, hey, I know your history, I know your background. And Jesus says, I know, we're in verse 9, your, what's this word, church? Afflictions. Afflictions and your poverty. Now, I want you to circle this word afflictions here, because the Greek word of afflictions actually means to be crushed or pressed between two plates. So in the ancient world, if you heard, I know your afflictions, you would have pictured in your mind something like this. You guys know what this is? This is a press, okay? You press things between it here. And in that time, uh, you might have taken, for instance, olives from the region. Put it in a press and you'd squeeze it and what comes out? Olive oil, yeah. Now this is a juice press and uh, and we're in a morning service. So I brought oranges, okay? I was like, I'm gonna make everyone mimosas. And uh, (laughs) watch, watch, here we go, ready? Squeeze, watch what comes out there. Isn't that beautiful? Look at that. Fresh squeeze. Yeah, that's it. They're right there. Little shot of orange juice. Praise God. It's delicious. Delicious. No, seriously, that's really, really nice. But uh, it's a nice image. But that's what the Christians would have thought of. When Jesus said, I know your afflictions, they said, it's like saying, I know that you are getting crushed. See, over time, that word afflictions came to mean anybody who was getting crushed by life, squeezed or wrung out. And Jesus says, I look at your church and I know you're suffering. He says, I know Christians in Smyrna, you are getting absolutely crushed. The life squeezed out of you. Guys, this is the persecuted church. This is a church who is suffering deeply for their faith. Now, you're like, well, wait, why were the Christians in Smyrna getting crushed? And a simple answer, because they refused to worship Caesar. See, the city of Smyrna had this fierce allegiance to Rome. When Rome came to power in that region, Smyrna was kind of the first to kind of jump on the Caesar train. In fact, they were the first city anywhere in the region to construct a temple to Roma. That was the goddess of Rome, and it was designed for all of their citizens to worship the Roman 
emperor. Caesar was considered a god at this time. And so understand, every year the prefect of Rome would come and every citizen of Smyrna had to go to the temple and drop a pinch of incense in the fire at Caesar's altar and say, Caesar is Lord. It was kind of like their Heil Hitler. It was meant to show allegiance to Rome. But the Christians wouldn't do it. <laughs> They're like, we're not going to say Caesar is Lord. Instead, in their worship services, in their church, they said, Jesus is Lord. That's our gospel. That's our good news. That there's only one God. There's only one ruler and master worthy of worship, and his name is Jesus. And so they said to Rome, you know, where, where your God, Caesar, rules through power and intimidation and fear. The Christians said, our God, Jesus, he rules through love and humility and self-sacrifice. And so the Christians refused to worship Caesar. And in Smyrna, that was fatal. In Smyrna, you didn't worship Caesar. You got crushed for that. The emperor Domitian, he was a murderous thug, and he launched an all-out campaign to crush the Christian church, and they lost everything. Believers in Smyrna lost their businesses, their property, their families. They lost their income. Because worshiping Caesar is just like it was what you did as a good Roman citizen. It ensured you had Rome's blessing and protection. And so when the Christians said, no, Caesar's not our Lord, Jesus is Lord. It was seen as treason. They're like, how dare you defy the empire? No one disrespects Caesar that way. And they declared open season on Christians. Rome said, go ahead. You can go ahead and crush them. And crush them they did. It became legal to physically beat Christians, to kidnap them, to throw them in prison. And ultimately, they didn't just lose their freedom, their businesses, their welfare. They lost their lives. Scores of Christians were executed for their faith, martyred for their faith in Jesus. In fact, check this out. In the second century, the pastor of Smyrna, a guy by the name of Polycarp, he was the pastor of Smyrna at that time, and he was hauled to the middle of the city stadium where the Olympics were held. And they tied Polycarp to a pole, called the whole city out to watch, and they burned him alive. And when the flames did not immediately kill Pastor Polycarp, they stabbed him to death while the people of the city cheered and watched. So you understand? In Smyrna, the Christians were getting crushed. They lost everything. They were getting squeezed. Hunger, poverty, betrayal, persecution pressed on every side. They lost everything for their faith. And so Jesus writes, he says, I know, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are what? What's it say? Rich. Rich. How, how can he say that? We'll see in a minute. Keep reading. He says, I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Now, let me unpack this, because on the surface, this statement seems anti-Semitic, but it's not. See, Christianity had Jewish roots, right? Jesus was Jewish. John was Jewish. And the early Jesus movement is mostly made up of Jewish converts at this point. But it's at this moment that Christianity is actually beginning to distinguish itself from Judaism. And some in the Jewish synagogue at Smyrna saw Christianity as a cult. They were like, this is a cancer that has to be removed. And so they attacked it with what? What's this word? Slander. You guys know what slander is? It's character assassination. It's when you spread lies and rumors and fake news. <laughs> and you say, there's, if there's trouble or a riot in the city, you say, oh, it's the Christians who are to blame. And so the synagogue leaders blamed the Christians and incited terror against Christ followers, which is satanic. Understand? It's not Jewish. It's demonically motivated persecution. 
And that's why Jesus writes tenderly. He says, I, I know your afflictions and your poverty. I know about the slander of those who say they're Jews, and they're not, but are a synagogue of Satan. And he says, do not be afraid of what you are about to what? What's the word? Suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer, what's this word? Persecution for how long? Ten days. Now, if we're honest, let's, be, let's acknowledge, this is hard to wrap our minds around, right? Like being persecuted for saying, I'm a Christian. I mean, we live in New Jersey. This is the United States, 2017. And so for you to publicly announce you're a Christian comes with a pretty low price tag, doesn't it, right? Like in America, we still enjoy religious freedom, thank God. Majority of our population would identify as Christian, you know, whether Catholic or Protestant, there are different levels of commitment. And yes, in our culture, there's some skepticism and there's some pushback against people of faith in the secular world, but there's not full-blown persecution, okay? As a Christian living on the East Coast, you might be the butt of a joke at a party, but they're not going to throw you off the roof of the building, okay? But if you announce publicly that you're a Christian in Saudi Arabia, or Somalia, or Yemen, where it's illegal in a militant Islamic culture, there are dire consequences. It can cost you your business, your reputation, your family. It can cost you your life. In many parts of the world today, the price tag for saying, I'm a follower of Jesus, is extremely high. But I have a hard time because persecution just seems so far away from me. And so I just want to take a moment to bring it closer this morning. Because even though we're here and we're worshiping today in relative comfort, right now, all over the world at this moment, there are Christians getting crushed, literally having the life squeezed out of them. Four weeks ago, the human rights watchdog group Open Doors released their annual world watch list of the top 50 countries where it's hardest to be a Christian. You can take a look at this map. Sadly, last year set a new record. 2016 is now officially the most violent year for persecution of Christians in modern history. With over 100 million Christians experienced persecution last year. That is defined as hostility towards someone for the name of Jesus. Uh, it could be beating, could be kidnapping, could be torture, could be rapes, could be execution. In over 60 countries around the globe. Open doors called 2016 the year of fear. Christian martyrdoms, people dying for Christ. And destruction of churches doubled on every continent last year. Number one on the list, North Korea. Number one perpetrator of persecution. They've actually been number one for 14 years straight. Today, on this Sunday, right now as we sit here, there are 70,000 Christians in labor camps in North Korea. Their crime? Identifying with the name of Jesus. Or owning a Bible. One of them is Toronto pastor Hyun Su Lim, who was sentenced to life in prison last year after making hundreds of humanitarian trips with food and medicine to help the poor. After North Korea, the top 10 includes some familiar names, Iraq, where Christians are on the verge of extinction, as well as Syria, where the Christian church is in danger of being wiped out of existence by radical Islamic terror groups like ISIS. In addition to all this death and destruction, last year Christians were displaced. It means they were forced from their homes, they had to flee their country in record numbers. In Syria, the city of Aleppo, this is Syria's largest Christian city, it saw the population of Christians shrink from 400,000 to 60,000 in 12 months. 340,000 people gone, while more than 1 million refugees fled the Middle East to Europe. So guys, reality check. 
right? Understand the times we're living in. God chose you and me to live in the moment where global persecution of Christians is at its highest level in modern history. Every month, 322 Christians are killed for their faith. 214 churches are destroyed. And over 770 acts of violence are committed against Christ followers, such as beatings, kidnappings, arrests, forced marriages. And I I don't know about you, but I hear those numbers and they they make me a little bit numb, (laughs) you know? It can be hard to absorb in the nightly news coming at us. And so today, I just kind of want to to humanize this by by helping us listen just to one voice. One Christian woman named Liana. Liana and her family are Christians living right now in Syria. And remarkably, they turned down offers of asylum here in the West after civil war broke out. They actually knew that this might cost them their lives to stay in Syria, but they said, we're going to choose to remain in our country so that we can witness to our Muslim persecutors and encourage other Christians. This is Liana's story. We were praying for revival, believing God would do a big work in Syria. Then the war came. Now the terrorists are attacking Christian homes, churches, and even our children. Their goal is to empty Syria of its Christians. We hate the spirit of Islam that is destroying our country, but we love our Muslim neighbors. They come to us and say, in the name of our God, terrorists rape and kill, where is God? We tell them about Jesus, and many are coming to know him. Still others say, we are like living in hell. One day, while I was praying, I asked God what he would have me do to be his witness. But he only asked me, Will you give me your life? As I prayed, I understood he wanted all of me. And I said yes. If the time came, I was willing to die for Jesus. The next day, while I was praying, I asked God again what he would have me do. This time, he asked me, Are you willing to give me your husband's life? It is not easy to be ready to die. My husband and I prayed about this together. We said yes to God. The terrorists know who we are and that we share Jesus with Muslims. It is not safe for our family. My husband and I prayed and fasted, and together we agreed. God gave us our precious children. He has the freedom to take them back. When we agreed to put our children on the altar, I knew I had to tell them the truth. I told them that we might see some blood and have some pain, but it would only be for a little while. (laughs) 
that we should just close our eyes. And when we open them, we will be with Jesus. Am I a good mother? Do you have to tell my children such things? I also told them that as long as God wants us to be safe, we will be safe, that He is in control. Even during the bloodshed, during the killing, He is carrying our future. This is what it means to be a Christian in Syria. tough stuff. That's sobering stuff. This isn't a political issue. These are people. These are brothers and sisters in Christ. And as you just heard, Leanna's prayer is that you and I would pray for our persecuted family in Syria and Iraq and all around the world. You know, according to Open Doors, more than asking for our money, more than asking for sympathy, the number one requested resource of persecuted believers is Pray for us. Just pray for us. That Christians in the West would actually stop and pray regularly, daily, for our brothers and sisters who suffer for their faith in Jesus. And so I want to do that right now. Would you just bow your head and pray with me? In fact, do this. Would you just grab the hand of someone next to you, either side? It's not weird. Just we're one family. We're joining in solidarity with believers around the globe. So just grab the hand of your neighbor. Let's pray together. Father God, we are praying right now for Liana and her family, and the Christians in Syria, Father God, who are being crushed and enduring suffering for you that we don't fully understand. But God, right now, we ask for you to be close to them. Father, hold them in the palm of your hand. Pour out your spirit on the church in Syria, in Iraq, in Iran, and around the world. God, right now, be with Chinese believers who are gathered in the underground, and they don't have guitars and screens, they might just have one Bible and they're gathering and lifting up the name of Jesus. Father, breathe your life into them, protect them by the blood of Jesus. God, we're, we're thanking you for our freedom, but Father, we just stand right now in solidarity with our brothers and sisters around the globe who call on the name of Jesus. We ask that you would bind the evil one, we ask that you'd strengthen them, pour out your Holy Spirit, may they feel the presence of Jesus among them. And come soon, Jesus. Come soon. Protect your bride, we ask. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Amen. In your small groups this week, you're going to have a chance to pray for persecuted Christians who appear on the global watch list. In fact, we're going to send leaders a a, a link to opendoorsusa.org, which provides all sorts of resources so you can personally pray daily for persecuted Christians in these top 50 countries. Now understand something, this is not just in the Middle East, that's what you hear about on the news, but there increasingly is fierce persecution in Asia. In fact, the country of India broke into the top 20 list for the first time because Hindu extremists there are emboldened right now by the Modi government. So more and more it's not just radical Islamists, more and more it's ethnic nationalism. We're doing this for our country. That's fueling open-air persecution against Christian believers. Last year in Pakistan... A suicide bomber killed more than 70 
Christians on Easter Sunday as they celebrated the resurrection at a local park. And in Africa, terrorists killed seven missionaries in Burkina Faso. Again, group leaders, we're going to send you a link to the World Watch List this week, and your small group can spend time picking what countries and people you want to pray for. But guys, that's our responsibility as global Christians. Amen? We, we want to have a worldview that's broad enough to understand that the, the kingdom is not just about America or even New Jersey. It's this global kingdom of God that's forcefully advancing. And the Bible says, tells us, remember your brothers and sisters in chains. And together, the Bible says, stand firm in the faith, because you know that, let's say this out loud, ready, big voice, the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So this is just a way for us guys to, to remember we are part of something bigger than the United States, bigger uh, as the global family of God. We have a responsibility to stand shoulder to shoulder with our suffering brothers and sisters around the world. Because Jesus says in the end times, he says, this, this persecution being crushed, being poured out, being squeezed because of your faith in me will happen more and more. Which is what makes his words to the church in Smyrna all the more powerful. You notice something about this letter? The church in Smyrna receives no correction, no criticism from Jesus, just comfort, just encouragement. And maybe you need that today too. Remember, that word affliction, it does mean to have the life crushed out of you, the life, you know, squeezed out of you. And you know what? You don't have to be in a war zone to feel that way, do you? Let's just, let's make this personal in a moment, right? I kind of, I said, let's broaden our perspective and go global, but let's bring it down now and look personal. Because there are a lot of people right now, guys, I know this is your pastor, right here in our church who are feeling the squeeze. You're feeling crushed. You're under daily pressure, or maybe you're going through a, a crushing experience right now. In fact, I know like at every campus, there are people in the room, and you, you see this imagery of the juice press, and you're like, dude, that's not a metaphor. That is me. That's my family. We are getting crushed. Uh, Tim, I'm the orange. I know that. I, it's the husband and wife who lie in bed at night, and it's 3 o'clock in the morning, and they're wide awake, and they don't know where their 17-year-old daughter is. Yeah? And they're laying awake, and they're hoping they're going to hear the front door open, but they don't know if she's going to walk in and she's going to be sober or not. And something is getting crushed in their spirit right now about that. That's crushing. I know if we took a financial survey right now in this church, how people are doing financially, there are some of you who are doing great. You're like, man, thank, praise God. Things are stable. Uh, they're steady. Um, we're living in a season of surplus. But there were others who would say, Tim, we are getting crushed. We're getting creamed. You look back on your financial situation two or three years ago and where you are now after, the, after the, you know, the downsizing, after the job loss, after the unexpected health crisis, and you're like, Tim, we're getting crushed financially. There are people in this church who are being crushed by medical issues. Maybe you're here today, and in the last 12 months, you received a crushing diagnosis, and you've been praying for healing, or the surgery hasn't come yet. And you know in your heart that God can heal and there are health issues that will be resolved and then there are other ones that won't go away and it's chronic and it's crushing. Guys, that's legitimate affliction too. I want to encourage you. Do not minimize the pain that people carry and say, well, you know, it's not like we're living in, in Syria. You know, I, those, I've got first world problems. Show yourself the kind of mercy and love that God has for you. 
The church is the global family of God, and you are his precious child too. And he cares about you just as much. And so your father in heaven, he wrote this letter to his church, which you're a part of. And he says to you, I see your struggle. I see your affliction, your poverty. And these words are for you. In fact, that's a question you got to answer in your small group this week. On page 14, we ask this question. What are you facing right now that seems to be more than you can take? Financial pressure? Relationship breakdowns? Overbearing temptations to sin? Satan uses these to weaken our resolve and turn our hearts from Christ. What are you facing that seems to be more than you can take? Remember that your Savior knows what you're going through. He's with you, and he can help you. And this is the key, folks. This is the, the comfort. This is the hope. This is what helped the Christians in Smyrna. This is what's going to help you and me. In Hebrews 2, do you know what we're told? Since he, that is Jesus, has gone through suffering and testing. Let's say this together. Ready? He is able to help us when we are being tested. So Jesus wrote this letter to Christians in Smyrna to let them know that I am never closer to you than when my child suffers. That's God's heart. Christ says, I'm with you and I can help you. How did Jesus start this letter? He says, guys, this is a letter from the one who died and came to life. He says, never forget the one writing this is the one who was crushed on the cross. I was crushed for you, voluntarily for you. And I know what it means to suffer. I know what pain and poverty look like. Your savior was ridiculed was arrested, unjustly accused, tortured, and executed on a Roman cross. And he says, and I came back to life, and so will you if you trust in me. See, when you go through suffering, you cannot lose track of the larger story of God that you're a part of. As Christians, you're part of the larger story of God, but there's two parts to the story. There's the crucifixion part, the crushing of God's only son, arrested, tortured, beaten, murdered on, by an angry mob. But then there's the resurrection part, the truth that even death couldn't hold Jesus down. He was raised to life by the power of God, amen? He says, the same thing will happen to you if you follow me. I know where I'm going. The Christians are getting crushed. And Jesus gives this word of comfort. He says, whatever you're going through, I have been there and I can help you no matter what you're going through. Guys, some of you came today and I'm like, God, let them hear this word from Jesus. He is saying to you, I see you, and I've been there, and I am with you. Can you say that? I'm with you. Turn your neighbor and say, I'm with you. Look him in the eyes and say, I'm with you. I, I, I wish you could hear that from the mouth of Jesus, the eyes of Jesus looking into you right now. In other words, Jesus says, in the middle of your medical tests and your doctor's visits, I'm with you. <laughs> As, as you care for elderly parents who are like declining and you feel the squeeze, you're like, I've got my kids on this side, I've got my parents on this side, and I'm like getting crushed on both sides. Jesus says, I am with you in that. Jesus sees the number of job interviews that you have been on, and he knows you're discouraged. He knows you're learning, losing hope, and he's saying, I'm with you. I know the trouble you're having with your son or daughter, but it's a short season. And understand, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. The one who died and came back to life, I'm with you. And you will too if you trust in me. Look what he says to the Christians of Smyrna. I know your afflictions and your poverty, and yet you're what? Rich. What's he talking about? They lost everything. How could Jesus say this? He's not talking about material wealth, obviously, but spiritual wealth. 
Even though the believers in Smyrna were getting crushed, he's like, you guys have something deeper. You are rich in faith. What does that mean? What does it mean to be rich in faith? It means a lot of things. But one of the things it means is that Christ actually gives you the ability to experience joy even when you're suffering. You actually don't let the roots of bitterness sink down into your heart, but your joy stays intact. Being rich in faith means you actually have the ability in the middle of your grief. You've lost somebody or something close and dear to you and it's painful and there's grief, but you still have this sense of God's goodness in the midst of it that God is good and he can be trusted and I can endure all things because there's a life to come. Rich in faith means even in a season of scarcity where you're like, man, this is us, Tim. We're hand to mouth. We don't have enough. You actually experience contentment. Jesus says, you are rich. I am with you. I'm with you. And if my presence is with you, you have everything you need. See, Christians, you understand the hope that we have. Because of Jesus Christ, we can be at our best even when life is at its worst. (laughs) I'll say that again because someone needs to hear that. Because you have Christ in your heart, you can be at your best even when life is at its worst. Amen? Even in the season of crushing, of pressure, of pain, and you're like, I don't know if I can last one more single second. And Jesus says, I am making something sweet in the middle of this. Middle of it. How do you do that? Look at verse 10. Because this isn't just like sweet words like, oh, just suck it up. Jesus tells them in Smyrna, he says, I want you to do two things. And this is his word to us. When you're getting crushed in your life, what do you do? First thing Jesus says, I want to read these four words out loud together. Ready? Put up here. Ready? Do not be afraid. One more time. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Now, I wish this said, do not be afraid because you're not going to suffer, <laughs> right? You'd be like, oh, shoo, praise God, what a relief, right? <laughs> it's not what it says. <laughs> Jesus says, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. In other words, you're going to go through something intense, and it's going to be hard, and it's going to hurt. But listen, do not live in fear. Do not be afraid, because fear is paralyzing. Fear is from Satan. Perfect love casts out fear. And sometimes the, the worry and the anxiety and the fear that we have associated with the situation is more paralyzing than the situation itself. And so Jesus says, don't be afraid. Now, I know it's not easy, but look why Jesus says, don't be afraid. Next verse, he says, I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for how long? 10 days. In other words, week and a half. What's the point? All suffering is temporary. It is not forever in contrast to eternity and life everlasting. Jesus is like, the season of suffering is short. It is a fixed point. There's a beginning to it, and there will be an end to it compared to what is eternal and everlasting. So notice something about your God. Your God doesn't deny pain. He acknowledges we will go through things that are very intense and very hard, but it will not last forever. He says 10 days. This is not literally 10 days. In Revelation, 10 days is symbolic for a short period of time. So if you're getting crushed today, Jesus says two things. First, no fear, don't be afraid. And then secondly, we'll say this together. He says, be, what's the word? Faithful, even to the point of death. And I will give you life as your victor's crown. So what do we do when we're getting crushed, when Christians suffer? First, Jesus says, no fear. Second, be faithful. Can you work with that? When you're getting crushed, don't be afraid. Instead, be faithful. Because he says, even this this plays a role in your discipleship. 
I can actually use this for your good and for my glory if you let me. And I know it's painful, and I know it's hard to understand, but this is part of how God forges our character. I'm not saying, God doesn't send suffering. God's not a sadist. But he says, even in this, if you trust me, I will use this for your good and for my everlasting glory. Do you know what that means? That means that when you suffer well, when you acknowledge and you say, you know what, I, I didn't want the divorce. That diagnosis, I didn't see coming. I didn't want the foreclosure, the family drama. God says, I am, I am forging something very sweet in your heart. Parents, listen to me. God may be doing something in the lives of your children as they watch your faithfulness right now. As they see you trust God and refuse to lash back at those who hurt you. When they see you say, I'm not going to slander my ex. <laughs> and instead speak graciously and I trust God with the outcome. You don't actually turn bitter and tank or walk away from your faith. The Apostle Paul says, perspective. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a what? Eternal glory that far outweigh them all. And I get it. This may not seem light and momentary at this point for you if you're going through it. I get that. But just remember the larger story of God that you are now a player in. The first part is crucifixion, but it ends where? Resurrection. Jesus says, follow me. I know where we're going. This is why, God, we're, we're followers of Jesus. Because the Bible says, follow Jesus, who for the, the joy set before him endured what? The cross and the suffering. And he says, just as the Father worked my death for your glory, he's going to work what you're going through for the global glory of God. What's the glory of God? Did you see it in the last verse? Did you see this? Jesus says, I have a reward. I'm going to give my faithful who suffer well. He says this, be faithful even to the point of death, and I'll give you life as your, say this, victor's crown. Little known fact. Here's the other double meaning. Ready? Every five years, Smyrna hosted Olympic Games in their stadium. They actually hosted Olympic competition. And runners who ran a race or an event, when they won, when they endured, they received what? A victor's crown. And typically, it was a laurel wreath like the one Michael Phelps wore at the Olympics in Athens in 2004. We give out medals today, but when the Olympics started, they didn't give athletes gold medals. You got a victor's crown, and it was made out of olive leaves and bay leaves. And so if you, you, you overcame the trial, you got the victory, you got a crown. And so Michael Phelps got a medal around his neck, and he got a victor's crown on the head. Pretty sweet, right? Jesus is using an Olympic image to talk to an Olympic town. And he says to his followers living in Smyrna, guys, I have a special honor just for you who've been faithful, who have overcome those of my followers who have pushed through the fear and kept the faith, I will award you the crown of life. It is heaven. It is the promise of eternal glory. You understand it means Jesus not only gives you the strength to endure this life, but when it's over, he says, I'm going to give you salvation in the life to come. And, and when you get there, there will be no more tears, no more pain. No more death, no more mourning, no more crying, for the old order of things has passed away. They're gone forever, amen? That's where the story's headed. So do you remember Leanna and her husband? She said, we prayed and we've decided to stay in Syria because we're willing to die for Christ. And I watched that and I was like, I don't know if I could say that. 
You know how Leanna could say that? Because she understood eternal life is her eternal reward. Do you understand that? Do you hear Jesus saying to you right now, as you go through this season of suffering, he's saying, persevere, be faithful, because eternal life is my eternal reward. He ends by saying, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who's victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. The Bible says that every person is destined to die once and then after that to face judgment. In other words, at this point, every single person in this room, including me, will die, and we don't get to choose when, and we don't get to choose how. But if we are trusting in Jesus Christ, it is not the end of life. It's the beginning of eternal life with God. Do you understand that? So when you push past your fear and you put your faith in Jesus, he says to you today, he says, the day will come when I welcome you home and you stand on that podium. Stand on the podium. And instead of judgment, you'll bow your head. And he says, I'm going to give you the crown of life and say, well done, my faithful servant. Smyrna is only one of two churches that receives no criticism and no correction from Jesus. Just words of comfort. It says, this is my prevailing church, which shows your Savior's tender care for you when you suffer. You are his child. And Jesus is saying with you today, I am with you. Don't be afraid. Be faithful, and I will meet you at the finish line. Amen? Christian, God has a, has a great reward waiting for you. you. You may be hurting today. Maybe you weren't even going to come today because you're just going through a tough time. You're going through an ordeal, a season of suffering where you're getting the life squeezed out of you. Do you feel alone? You are not. Jesus is here right now, and he's saying, I am with you. I am with you. I will help you. And if you trust me, I will carry you home. Amen? Let's bow our heads and talk to our Father. Father, we love you. We thank you that nothing happens to us apart from your will. Lord, we may not have seen this season of suffering coming, but you did. And Lord, we trust you, your goodness, that we can trust your heart for us. And that Jesus Christ showed us what it means to trust the Father perfectly. Father, I ask uh, right now that you would be with believers in our church who are feeling the squeeze. Father, whatever pressures people are feeling, Lord, right now, I am praying for those who are going through physical suffering. I pray right now for your hand of healing to be upon their life, that there would be healings that happen, Lord, that would give glory to Jesus because of your great power. We know you can heal. But Lord, even when we don't, even when you don't, we praise you anyway. We say, bless the Lord. God, I pray right now for families who are going through struggle, for, for marriages that are, that are being, feeling the pressure, God. Breathe your resurrection power into them, Father God. And Lord, as we are here, we're joining arms and hands with your church across the world. We pray for our brothers and sisters in the Middle East, in Africa, in Asia, Lord, who are suffering for your name. Lord, we join them. And we ask that it would be a sweet offering to Jesus Christ, our Savior. We pray these things in his name. Everyone said together, amen. Let's stand together, church. We're going to close with a final worship song. Invite Christ right now. Just carry you through in your season that you're going through.